The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. Father God, may we be a people who walk in your footsteps who understand that the journey you took was one of falling to the ground to die, to be raised again to produce a great harvest. So, Father God, we stand here before you this morning so grateful for your love and your mercy. Father God, that you would work in us and through us to show that same love and grace and mercy to those that we meet each and every day. Speak to us, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. In Proverbs 14, we read that there is a way that appears right. There, are way, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. A friend of mine posted on Facebook, and this is a late addition to my notes, because he posted a quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, When the whole world is running towards the cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. What a timely quote. Already as we've begun our journey through Genesis, already we've seen this truth played out on several occasions. Back in Genesis 3, as the woman wanders near the tree in the centre of the garden, the tree of knowledge and good and evil, and she looks at the fruit, and she sees that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. It seemed right. It seemed so right. And then in Genesis 4, we're told that Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And as we explained and explored it that morning, it seemed so right. And then last week in Genesis chapter 6, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans or the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them that they chose. And if you want to get that unpacked a little bit, go online and listen to last week's sermon. But again, this drive to choose that which feels right, to choose that which is attractive, to choose that which is appealing, to choose that the way that seems right. Rather than having regard for what God has said. There is such a preference for holding on to our human desires rather than offering humble obedience to the word and will of God. And so in verse 5, of chapter 6. 
we read that the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thought of the human heart was only evil all the time. We're told that the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and that his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord, God, so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. And then that word of hope, but Noah, but Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. At this point in the story, the, the author does, and we believe the author was probably Moses, does what has happened so often already in the story. If we went back to Genesis 2, in the first couple of verses between verses 3 and 4, he goes from telling the story of the, the creation of the universe, and he focuses in Genesis 2 more on the creation of the earth and the formation of man and his wife and placing them in the garden to take care of it. And in Genesis 4, we saw another, uh, we saw another shift from a focus on the, the human story. And so in chapter 5, it opens with a story focused on one family line, the, the line of Seth. And here in this morning's reading, the focus moves from the story of an increasingly depraved generation to now the story centres on one man and his family. And so we pick up the story this morning in Genesis uh, chapter 6 and verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. At one time, Adam had walked with God in the Garden of the Eden, in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the evening. Then two weeks ago, we read how Enoch, uh, Noah's great-grandfather, had walked with God so closely, so intimately, that he never experienced death, but passed straight from this life to the next. And now we have Noah who walked faithfully with God. These themes that keep getting repeated in the story, it's so early in the story it's important for us to take notice of them. Uh, I have no idea when it was, but sometime a couple of years ago probably, we read through the book of Galatians. And in Galatians 5, 24 to, 20, uh, 24 to 25, the Apostle Paul says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's no longer about those things that feel good, that look right. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us walk with God. Living not according to the passions and desires of the flesh, but walking, keeping in step with the Spirit. The story of Noah and his family is not a myth. It's not a story of historical interest. It's a story that has deep application for us because the human condition hasn't changed. The human heart hasn't changed. And the love, the grace, the mercy, and the judgment of God have not changed. And so, 
In Genesis 6, we continue. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build the ark. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. A cubit, if I go like that, is the distance from there to there which is somewhere between 45 and 50 centimetres, depending on how tall you are and how long your arms are. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening of about one cubit high. I love the cute pictures of Noah and all the animals out on the ark, but there was only a cubit between the sides of the boat and the roof. There was not a lot of room to stand out on the deck because that was not a good place to be. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, and you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. I like that. They will come to you. They will come to you. I can imagine otherwise Noah's going, how am I going to do this? Have you ever felt that? When we're told to go and make disciples of all nations, how are we going to do that? They will come to you. Checking where passage you're up to. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. And Noah did everything just as God commanded him. You know, the state of the world, the state that the world was in would have come as no surprise to Noah. He was a righteous man. Neither would God's heart on the matter. Noah understood the heart and wanted. They walked together. When you walk with someone, you know how they think, you know how they feel. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his people. And the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And so God chooses Noah. And God chooses Noah's wife and their three sons and their wives to accompany him through that which lay ahead. If we look in Genesis 7, 11, we look forward a little bit, we find 
that the flood begins in Noah's 600th year. If we look back a couple of weeks to Genesis, well last week actually to Genesis 6-5, the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever. They are mortal and their days will be 120 years. Last week I talked about the possibility that as a declaration that men now would only live for 120 years as a, as a lifespan. And, and those that disagree with that argue that, well, after the flood there was a, a, a period of time where people still lived very long lives. And so the other possibility is that God has said, 120 years from now, I'm going to bring judgment. It really doesn't matter which one it is. Because as I showed last week, if you look back over the last 50 years, there's a lot of people that have lived between 115 and 120 years. It's still possible. 122 is the oldest I could find in the list. So it's possible it's that. But what it says is this. God does not execute judgment quickly. God will bring judgment but he is not in a hurry to do so. In our timeline, therefore, God's decision to destroy the earth is made when Noah is 480. That's the timeline. Their days will be 120 years. Noah when he's 480. I don't know whether God actually told Noah at the age of 480 I'm going to destroy the earth, but that's when God made the decision. Sometime after Noah is 500, he has these three boys. And when Noah is 600, then judgment comes. One doesn't have to be particularly astute to see what a mess our world is in right now. The mistake we made, however, is to think that that is something new. We look at the state of our world and go, oh, it's never been like this before. Bottom line, it's been like this so many times before. When we look at what is happening in New Zealand, it's easy to, to, to forget that man's blatant disregard for God, for his will, his plans, his purposes, for his law, and man's inhumanity to man it's easy to forget that it's not something new. These things have dominated human history. 2,000 years ago, John wrote, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus didn't come in a good time. He came in the midst of the power of the Roman Empire. Evil, depraved, power hungry. And into that, Jesus came. And it didn't turn and change overnight. While there have been many signs of hope over the last 2,000 years, there's also been much cause for anguish and grief throughout that time and around the world. We talk about what's happening in New Zealand 
And I see some folk on Facebook comment about this is the happening and this is happening and it's terrible. But I had the privilege of travelling to a number of parts of the world. Particularly I think of uh, my time in, brief time in Nigeria and Ethiopia. Particularly Ethiopia comes to mind. If we think it's hard and bad here, it's only because we've not been aware of how hard and bad it is in so many parts of the world. It may be new for us for it getting like it is, but that is the story of human history. In Hebrews 9:27, we're told that people are destined to die once, and after that, faith judgment. We like to think that Jesus came preaching love and life, and he did, but he also came to declare, to warn of a judgment to come. And that, that, that final judgment that he speaks of is what's referred to as the end of the age. And in, in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking with his disciples. And they say to Jesus, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And in verses 6 to 8, Jesus says, you will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. These things, such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. You notice he says, you will see. He's talking to a group of people around him who all died about 18 or 1900 years ago. These things have been happening ever since. They are the beginning of birth pains. They are not a sign of the end. These things will come do not be disturbed by them. These are just the beginning. Later on, the great apostle Peter will says, people will say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on like it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. You see, these people, we, we started this journey through Genesis by making the comment that there are believers today who would rather pretend that the Genesis stuff actually has no application. The problem being is the apostles believed firmly that they have absolute application and truth for their day and for ours. They deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens came into being, the earth was formed out of water by water and these waters also the world was at that time deluged and destroyed. By the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. Being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. For some ignore the reality of a judgment to come 
it seems many others who would call themselves followers of Jesus kind of look forward to the day that God's going to bring judgment. It's like it's some kind of good news, God's going to come and judge you. We don't know the name Westboro Baptist Church as well as we used to, but for those who remember, they were the ones who had protested the funerals of dead soldiers saying, this is God's judgment on you for you. That's not the heart of the Father. Jesus says there will be judgment to come. But that's not a source of joy. That's not a source of rejoicing. I do look forward to the day of judgment. Part of me longs for it to be all over. Part of me longs for the suffering to end. Part of me looks forward, in fact all of me looks forward to what lies beyond that day. But I, I picture Christ looking to the cross. I don't think Jesus looked forward to the cross. But we're told that he looked forward to what lay beyond the cross. What would be achieved through the cross. And I can imagine Noah looking around him having heard the stories from his lineage going back to Seth and hearing stories from Enoch and from Methuselah about what life used to be like. And knowing how corrupt the world had become in just a few generations. And I can imagine the part of him longed for it all just to end. But he was a righteous man and and seeing it end would be so painful. How much more so for God? This God who had lovingly planned and created this beautiful world that he said, I look at it and it's, it is so good. And his righteousness and his justice he needed to bring judgment. He cannot leave sin unpunished. But at the same time, this is his beautiful creation. And these men and women were created in his image. God takes no joy in judgment and neither should we. And so whether Noah had known about it for 120 years or 100 years, Certainly from that hundred years he has these three sons and he watches them grow. And he watches the influence. Many of us, the parents, we have watched the influence of the world on our children. And Noah's watched the world as it's around and things are going on and he's watched his three boys grow and he's watched them marry. And he's watched the ark taking shape. And he knew what was to come. And as well as he grieved for what was happening around him, I knew, I imagine he grieved for what lay ahead. Surely it grieved him every day because these around him were not strangers, they were family and friends. However, in Second Peter 2.5, Peter, uh, Noah is referred to as a preacher of righteousness. 
It seems that while Noah watched the world around him and, and while he worked on the ark, he also took time to warn those around him of coming judgment and right living. You know, it's not enough to make sure you and your family are safe. We kind of have this picture of, I've always had, kind of had this picture of Noah building this ark and him and his family are going to be safe. But it's not about keeping you and your family safe. And so in Matthew 24, Jesus continues, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. We are not called to threaten judgment, but we are called to preach a gospel of hope in the face of judgment. We don't long for judgment to come, but it is coming. And we are called to be ready and waiting. Jesus continues, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven. So I think you're probably right, Mike. There's a lot of stuff the angels in heaven don't know. Not even the angels in heaven not even the Son, but only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days of Noah, before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. Fascinating, eh? Noah is a preacher of righteousness. He's probably been telling the people, this is what's going to happen. Why are you building? What is that thing? It's an ark. What's it for? It's for when it floods. What do you mean floods? It hasn't, when the rain comes. What do you mean rain? See, it's believed that there was no rain up until that point. And he's trying to explain it to them, and he's telling them quite clearly what it's for and why it's coming and what lies ahead. But when it happens, it takes them by surprise. Because people haven't changed. Just because people don't hear us and respond is no reason for us to stop in wisdom and with love and grace sharing the hope that we have. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. If we do not take these words seriously, if we don't look like we're prepared, if we look like we're just filling in time, why would our family and friends take it seriously? We are told that Noah was a righteous man. I remember teaching when I was in Melbourne, I taught through the book of Romans. And more than anything else, I came to equate righteousness with right relationship more than just right behavior. Noah was a man who was in right relationship with God. Noah took God seriously. Noah warned others, and made preparations for that day.
He acted in obedience to God. Noah did everything just as the Lord commanded him. In the last seven and a half years or more that I've been here, I've said so often, the number one priority for a follower of Jesus is to learn to hear his voice with a view to doing what he says. May we hear God speak and may we live and walk in obedience to his every word. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Te Atatū. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.